And I've seen other companies who are being creative and basically revamping what they do to stay in business. If you see a frontline worker, somebody that's either a first responder or somebody working in a hospital, please take time just to say thank you to them because they all have families as well and they're exposing themselves in order for us to get back sooner. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us, you the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo, and this is The Future of Work. Salvatrice Kumo talks with Bill Manis, President and CEO of the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership, which is an organization that represents the economic interest of 31 cities and over 94,000 businesses in the San Gabriel Valley with a mission to improve the quality of life and bring economic vitality to the region. They have five areas of focus, workforce development, public policy, marketing and communication, business assistance, and economic-driven events. In this episode, Bill Manis shares the efforts and resources being made available by the partnership, particularly during this time, while we face the new normal brought on by COVID-19 and the impact it is having on all sectors of business, and therefore, each of us as individuals and as a community. Let's get started. Hi, welcome back. I am here with Mr. Bill Manis, President and CEO of the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Salvatrice. Let's get into a little bit of your role and who you are at the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership. Sure. Well, I started with the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership in January of 2019 after having served 33 years in local government. During that 33-year time, I worked in eight cities and served as a city manager in my last two cities. And I was also fortunate to gain a significant amount of economic development experience during that time period, having completed about 10 million square feet of development projects. And now I serve as the president and CEO of the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership, which is an organization that is 30 years old, and it represents the economic interest of 31 cities and over 94,000 businesses in the San Gabriel Valley. We have a population in that area of approximately 1.5 million people, and our mission is to improve the quality of life and bring economic vitality to the region. Our membership consists of cities, 
hospital and healthcare groups, colleges, financial institutions, public sector entities, water districts, developers. We have AT&T on our uh, board. We have Charter Spectrum, as well as Foothill Transit and other groups that we, that we have regionally in San Gabriel Valley. We have a very influential board of which you are a member. Thank you very much. And these various entities provide the leadership and direction to me and my team. Thank you. And happy to be a board member. You have a great team there and a great board. You know, you mentioned the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership as being really an engine for economic development in the San Gabriel Valley area. How does the partnership work in regards to economic development? Is there any specific examples that you could provide us? That's a great question. And uh, yes, I can. So, so the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership really focuses on five areas, and that includes workforce development, public policy, marketing, as well as communications, business assistance, and then our economic development-driven events that we do each year. So in brief, I'll kind of walk you through each of those categories and kind of explain how that relates to, to our mission. Our workforce development efforts really focus on our school districts and our uh, different colleges that we have in the San Gabriel Valley. We provide summer internships for students in various industries within our region. Some of those include biotech and bioscience and healthcare and office as well as admin jobs. And we're also launching a new program with Ontario International Airport called the Ontario Airport Academy that will expose youth to a variety of careers in the airport industry. So some of those careers are, are logistics, TSA jobs, pilots, as well as administration. And then when you move into our public policy section of what we do, that really focuses around a lot of political work at the state and local level and the federal level. And it supports that support our region's economy and growth. So we support legislation and public policies that advance our mission. And based on that, we communicate directly with our local, state, and federal legislators for pro-growth policies. So we provide forums for the discussion of important regional issues, and we communicate information and ideas that really enhance the region's understanding of our key public policy issues. So with that, we're working directly with our local cities, our chambers of commerce, our business organizations to promote these pro-growth policies and to advocate for or against, at times even, any kind of legislation that is or is not in the best interest of our region. And so our group also has a legislative action committee that's made up of our members that meets monthly to make recommendations regarding some of those public policy things that we look at and bills. And we also have a public policy platform that we do in that section of our organization. And then our marketing and communication efforts are, are fairly extensive. We provide our membership with a weekly newsletter that highlights success stories from our membership. We share information on activities and events that are taking place in our 31 cities, and we promote the businesses within our San Gabriel Valley area. We're active on most social media sites on a daily basis, and this has especially been the case during the COVID-19 shutdown. So our marketing and communication team really provides multiple publications throughout the year. We have a San Gabriel Valley economic forecast that we're hoping to have at Pasadena City College in 2021. We just had it on March 4th of this year. And we provide a membership guide, a legislative guide, and various videos of our events. Then you move into our business assistance team. 
and they provide support to our local businesses, which we have about 94,000, as I mentioned, in the San Gabriel Valley. Our team acts as a confidential liaison between businesses, local government, educational institutions, and public agencies to really help facilitate the coordination of programs and resources that are out there. So this can include anything from problem-solving businesses and, and government agencies might need assistance on to leveraging assistance programs and resources throughout our county. And we also offer with, within this section of our program what we call a business walk. And here we will work with the local cities and their chamber of commerce to meet one-on-one -on -one with companies to make sure they're happy, make sure they're doing well, and to see if they have any specific needs that we can address. And lastly, we do a significant number of events, as you well know, Salvatrice. We are known for doing high-quality professional events that our members really enjoy. We partner with a lot of different institutions in the San Gabriel Valley, one being the Cal Poly Business School. Um, each year we do an economic forecast that I just mentioned, and uh, we hold quarterly power lunches that are hosted by Bank of America, and we have monthly legislative events that highlight our county, state, and federal leaders as well as we have a, uh, a very special gala each year where we showcase some of our amazing businesses and individuals who are doing wonderful things in the San Gabriel Valley. So our events keep us really busy. Thank you so much. There's, there's so much stellar work that the partnership does that you just touched upon. And, and in my mind, it, I put them into buckets. I put them into buckets of advocacy, education, networking, and then overall you know, connectivity with the San Gabriel Valley business community. And, you know, you touched upon something that is really current and at the pulse of what is happening right now, which is COVID-19, right? And it, it has tremendous amount of impact that we didn't, we didn't really anticipate. Would you be able to discuss what that impact looks like for the San Gabriel Valley community in your, through your eyes, what do you feel is the economic impact this virus has caused here in the San Diego Valley community? Well, yes, it has been a very significant impact. And yes, we, we did not anticipate the extent of it. Like, like everyone else in the world, the San Gabriel Valley has been really impacted by the virus. Uh, we held our 2020 economic forecast, I, I just mentioned briefly, on March 4th of this year. And at that point, we reported a vibrant economy that was projected to grow at about a 3% pace. While we mentioned the potential impact of the virus, we had no idea of the devastating impact we would be facing ahead as the months sort of rolled on. The numbers and projections we shared on March 4th were shortly meaningless, and um, all things changed. In the course of six weeks, the Southern California region has lost 2.8 million jobs of the 10.3 million jobs we had. And so this equates to a 27.4% job loss from our numbers this time last year. And that deserves to uh, say again, a 27.4% job loss from year to year. We are projecting by the end of May that we will have a unemployment rate of 31%. Uh, so we went from an unemployment rate in February of this year at 4.3% to a 31% rate in only 90 days. 
And keep in mind, the unemployment rate of the Great Depression back in 1933 was 24.9%. So these are staggering numbers. One of the hardest hit sectors that we've seen across all boards, across all areas, and certainly in the San Gabriel Valley, is the food preparation and food service industry. And in this particular sector, we are projecting a unemployment will hit as high as 70%, 70. The same percentage also applies to workers in personal care, so your hairdressers, your massage therapists, and so on. And other sectors that are down are the nonprofit sectors. Our social service sectors are down about 58%. Our schooling, colleges, our school districts, they've seen about a 21% drop. And then sports, as we've seen, all sports have been shut down, sporting events. That sector is down about 51.9%. And sales in general are down about 58.5. So these are all devastating numbers and numbers that uh, really impact cities, counties, and states. But on a little bit of a positive note, we have seen that the higher skilled jobs in business and finance, engineering, sciences, as well as legal services are much less impacted. Most workers in these industries have transitioned to online work, and they have done all communication via platforms like Zoom and Skype, so that's really helped. And so most of these sectors are projected to lose fewer than 10% of their workforce. And then, of course, all of the occupations around healthcare and also any of the PPEs, which is the personal protective equipment, those careers and those jobs remain strong due to the critical importance of the fight against COVID-19. So it's, it's really had a, uh, a very substantial impact and it's not over. Thank you for giving those insights on the industries. You touched on some really great statistics for our industries. As a faculty member who is listening, as a student who is listening, what are some recommendations that you can give us as an institution to prepare our future workers and the current workers that we will be upskilling for their new career endeavors. And also, is this a way for us to really stimulate our local economic community? Any recommendations? Well, yeah, I, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be looking at a new normal. And, um, you know, things as they were will not be how they are as we move forward. And, you know, stats I'm hearing from various federal and, and state as well as local officials, you know, are saying it could take as long as two years to really kind of bounce back to being as stable as we were before we hit March. And, you know, there, there will be certain industries that, that just do not shift really, really drastically that we'll see a very much a, a lag time or they don't come back in full at all. So I think that, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that we're focused on now, because it's really, it's, it's a blended approach of what we do, trying to move forward with our, with our local officials, our county officials, and our state officials, because it's really going to take a big effort on everybody's part. And with that, we saw that actually Governor Newsom, just in the course of the last several weeks, formed a new task force. And it's called his Business and Jobs Recovery Task Force. And this includes four of our state's former governors. Uh, we have multiple CEOs of large California companies on that task force, as well as leaders in multiple sectors. 
And then that's translated down Salvatrice into regional efforts throughout the state that we're seeing as far as actually recovery teams that have been formed. And a good example of that in our local area is the LA County team formed their own economic recovery task force this week. It, it, it was on the uh, County Board of Supervisors agenda for this Tuesday. They just approved it this past Tuesday. And how we got involved was that the San Gabriel Valley Economic Partnership, along with the LA EDC and the Santa Clarita Economic Development Corporation, we sent a joint letter to the LA County Board, and we really outlined what a reopening strategy should look like for the new task force, because it's going to be very important that this task force hits the ground running and that they, that they don't take months to get things done, that they really are doing things on a weekly basis to help our, our uh, local economy. So, so in that strategy letter that we shared, it really presented three different strategies to get things opened up in our area. But that, again, translates to the bigger area of the, of the state of California, and then we're seeing each state within our, within our country doing similar things. And we're hopeful that this new county task force will find value in what we offer. We hope that they'll use us and uh, pull us in as a resource. We are really boots on the ground and, and the front line when it comes to working with our local companies. And so we're very hopeful that between our three organizations that, uh, that the county will, will certainly use us as a stepping stone to move forward in trying to get, trying to get everybody back. And that includes all sectors. So it's going to take a village in this one, and that process is, is getting started. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult situation. Also really enlightening and, and wonderful to hear that those three organizations wrote a letter to the county and said, you know, allow us to put this task force together, and it got approved. Congratulations. That's amazing. That's really amazing work because, you know, we know that it's going to take to your point, it's going to take a village. It's going to take a village to get us back out of this this pandemic that we're faced with, obviously, this economic slump. But it's it may be difficult, but it's not impossible. And so it's really wonderful to hear that the partnership and others and, and us and our institution and other institutions that you're involved with are coming together to help with that. It's, it's great. It's super great. Thank you so much for doing that. Along that same vein of the connectivity between economic development agencies, cities, and counties, is there anything unique that you might be hearing from you know, cities and, and counties that they're grappling with as it relates to the situation? And or are there any other you know, innovative ways that they're perhaps looking to come out of this economic damage and strategizing for recovery? Well, yes. Being a former city government guy, I, I like to keep my, my hands on the pulse of city government. And so I, I follow city council meetings. I talk with a lot of our city managers in the valley. And, you know, c- cities and counties are, are both all very concerned and are struggling. I've talked with multiple city managers over the course of the last six to eight weeks. And uh, based on what I shared earlier, there are just many unknowns, you know, which which makes it very difficult for public sector agencies to forecast the overall impact because it's still happening and there's a lot of things that, that we don't know. There was an article that, that was recently written, came out last week, and it stated that the California cities expect to lose about $7 billion over the next two years due to COVID-19. And that number could substantially grow if the stay-at-home order should last 
additional months. The state plans to put another $9.5 billion into the CARES Act to help stabilize cities, but that's only for cities in our state that have a population of 500,000 or more. And so when you look at the 482 cities we have in the state of California, only six, six of those cities would qualify for those funds. So the balance of the funds go to the state. But in the meantime, you have cities that are significantly down on their sales tax and other revenue generators that help make up city budgets. And that includes the hotel bed tax, which is another one. So cities like Pasadena that have a lot of hotels generate a lot of tax. It's not sales tax. It's called the transit occupancy tax or bed tax that they generate. And that could be millions of dollars for a city. And what we're, what we're learning is that it's currently being projected that eight out of every 10 cities we have in the state will be impacted in all areas of local government. So this includes your public safety, your police and fire departments, as well as the cuts to like your parks and recreation services. And there are additional losses in business license fees, parking and admin fees, property transfer taxes, and it just goes on. And then if you add on top of that, it's, it's this layer effect, if you add on top of that the unbudgeted cost on critical services to prevent the further spread of the virus, this includes disinfecting and sanitizing public facilities, purchasing PPEs, increasing public safety costs, and financial support programs for the residents and businesses of those cities. That adds on to the burden that our cities and counties are doing and seeing. And I think initially we will see a reduction of non-essential services that have typically been offered by cities. So things like parks and recreation programs for youth, arts and entertainment events, the 4th of July celebrations, those types of things. I think we'll see those put on a pause mode until cities can, can, can really get financially back on their feet. And even, I think we will see a delay in the public infrastructure projects that cities do. So very basic things like paving roads, fixing potholes, fixing old water systems in the city that break, trimming trees, you know, the things that, that we all see that are important because it's how we look at our different communities. But those services cost millions, and I think we'll, we'll see cities have to pull back from that just to provide the basic services that cities are, are, are really there to do. The other interesting item that, that I'll add on to that is that you also have cities who have struggled as far as pension obligations, and that's been an ongoing concern for cities over the past couple of years. And so you add that onto the equation, and it just really makes for a, you know, a very bleak outlook for cities for the next couple of years until they can really kind of come up and uh, stabilize and get back on their feet. Thank you so much, Bill. Great to hear all the activities that are happening and involvement of the partnership and their lead on economic recovery. Given you're at the pulse of information, are there any positive stories out there? New environment, new processes, everyone's evolving. Anything positive to share? There are positive stories and those stories are the best. They give us hope and they, they surprise you in that we're seeing people step up and do things they typically might not do as part of everyday business. And some of those stories I can share. I've seen local restaurants team up with uh, citizens groups or maybe a city council member in a, in a certain city to offer food to our frontline workers. A specific example of that is a family in actually Claremont worked with a local pizza shop 
and they donated over 300 pizzas to hospital workers over a period of several days as these workers were leaving. And, and so the, the, these are the workers that are there day after day uh, being exposed to the virus. And then they go home and they have families and they have to cook and do homework with their kids. And so they donated 300 pizzas as these folks were just about ready to uh, go home. And it was a great story. And then I've seen other companies who are being creative and basically revamping what they do to stay in business. There's a company in the city of Irwindale called Gamma Construction, and they are a demolition and construction company. They are now revamping and adding a lot of remediation and decontamination services relative to the virus. And based on that, they've been able to maintain their workforce of 53 employees, which is, which is a great story. The last story I'll share with you is a company in El Monte called ProLine Logistics. And they are an import-export company. And the owner of the company, Tony, I met with yesterday. And he donated 4,000 masks to various organizations. And he gave us 1,000 of those. And he's been able to, to maintain his workforce, and even he will be adding jobs this summer, he shared with me. So those masks that he's producing and basically giving away are now going out and being filtered out through the entire San Gabriel Valley. And uh, there, there's people I have coming into my office just to do pickups. So some amazing stories of people and companies jumping in to help and truly make a difference during this very challenging time. That's amazing. Jumping into health, sustaining jobs, creating new ones too. That's exactly what we want to hear during this time. I mean, it's so easy to get kind of stuck in the gloom and doom feeling, but there are wins out there. There are successes and we continue as an economic development entity of our local region to not only highlight and share those stories, but also be a catalyst and or a leader to innovative ways of conducting business. It's certainly not business as usual. And now is really the time where, and just to touch on a point that you hit earlier, is to come together, to figure it out, to support each other. As events being one of the connectors for the partnership, how is the partnership rethinking the event as a connector. It has been a challenge for us because we, for, for the last 30 years, we've been known for our events. You know, we take great pride in our events and we really plan them very carefully and we get really amazing speakers and partner with some really amazing entities. And it's been great. And that's been our bread and butter, really, you know, as far as our funding source. So not being able to do events is impacting us financially, and it does impact us from just gathering people and getting networks in the same room together just to talk and to share ideas. So we have had to shift, and we are doing more Zoom events now. We, we had a, a Zoom event that we did with Senator Feinstein's office in March that we had over 300 attendees on that Zoom, and it was very successful. And we, I think, learned in that instance that for now at least, for the next few months at a minimum, we'll be looking to do our events via Zoom and through different social media links. We have seen our Facebook. I just got a message uh, from my team this morning that was saying our Facebook membership, our Facebook friends that we have on there now has spiked. And we've seen over 200 new people in the last week. 
And so more people are watching us because of our resources posted, because of the uh, various information that we're putting out there. So that tells me that that's going to be very critical for us to make sure that we maintain a very strong social media presence. And as we look to uh, do events moving forward, certainly Zoom is an option. But to get back to our original footprint, you know, our, our thing is to have you in the room with us. And so we're very hopeful and looking very, very much in a positive manner that in the course of the next three to four months, we will be able to be back together in the same room. It might mean spacing out a little bit further and our events can't be perhaps the size they were. Instead of 300 people, maybe all we have is 150 people. But I do think that it's critically important that we're all together again to get back to a sense of normalcy. Thank you, Bill. Really appreciate your time here. And any, la- any final words that you'd like to share with the listener? Well, just be safe out there and please try to adhere to our uh, state mandates as well as our county mandates. Wear a mask. It's tempting to get back out there with with our beautiful weather that we've been having lately and, and get back out there and jump in. But each day that we do hold back and we are careful, that is one day less until we can return. And I appreciate everybody's flexibility. And if you see a frontline worker, somebody that's either a first responder or somebody working in a hospital, please take time just to say thank you to them because they all have families as well and they're exposing themselves in order for us to get back sooner and they're helping others. So just be sure to thank them and uh, stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast presented by Pasadena City College. If you'd like to get involved and have resources to share, or be a guest on the show, you can find a link to our webpage in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and tell us your thoughts about the show. You can look forward to new episodes weekly every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. 